Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. to part three of the Star Wars Action News 2010 Year in Review. Part three of three, because everything Star Wars must come in threes. Exactly. The rule of three for Year in Review shows. On this show, we've got Steve from the UK. Well, hello there. We've got Nathan. Hello. Jerry. Hey, hey. Boy Everest. Hello. And Brock. Hello. 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 It comes in threes. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're going to start off by taking a look at the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Well, Nathan, why don't you run down for us what this year has held in terms of EU as far as the books, comics, and games? Okay, folks, call this a lightning round recap of the Star Wars EU releases in 2010. Many will remember this year best for what ended in 2010 rather than what began. This year saw the end of three of the ongoing Star Wars comic series, Knights of the Old Republic, Legacy, barring the War miniseries that acts as its end cap, and the regular-sized comic tie-in series for The Clone Wars. Speaking of The Clone Wars, the cartoon series tie-in novels ended this year, too, with the release of Clone Wars Gambit, Stealth, and Siege. In comics, we also saw the presumptive end of The Old Republic, a six-issue series that reprinted the Thread of Peace and Blood of the Empire web comics from the upcoming video games website. We also may have seen the last of Purge, with the release of the third one-shot in this quasi-series, The Hidden Blade. Meanwhile, the Young Reader Rebel Force series by Alex Wheeler ended as well, bringing to an apparent close the loosely connected yet long-running saga of Jedi Apprentice, Jedi Quest, Last of the Jedi, and Rebel Force itself. Also vanishing from bookshelves was the Wizards of the Coast Star Wars role-playing game, which ended mid-year and took its great website down with it. This year also saw what appears to be the finales of two Star Wars parody trilogies, those from Family Guy and Robot Chicken. For new readers, this year's comics brought several omnibus releases to bring fans up to speed, including editions for Shadows of the Empire, Boba Fett, Quinlan Vos and the first two volumes in a reprint of the old Marvel Comics series under the reused name a long time ago. 2010 also saw the return of Dark Empire, Dark Empire 2, and Empire's End, along with the Dark Empire Handbook, in the hardcover collection The Dark Empire Trilogy, which might as well be considered a glorified omnibus. Several Expanded Universe lines continued this year, though one could argue that those that did may leave the saga weaker going into 2011 than it was in 2010. In comics, Dark Times continued with the slowly released, oft-delayed Blue Harvest storyline. Invasion moved into its second storyline, Rescues, and the two Digest-sized series, Star Wars Adventures and the Clone Wars Digest, continued with new releases, including The Will of Darth Vader and Deadly Hands of Shanju. What I mean by the idea that Dark Horse has put themselves in a weak position when it comes to Star Wars comics going into 2011 is, I mean, their powerhouses are gone. 
the fan favorite series would have been Legacy and Knights of the Old Republic because the characters were very well loved. The writers were very well loved. Jan Dersima as an artist is sort of the big Star Wars comic artist name out there. And yeah, you got good storytelling coming from people like Tom Taylor with Invasion now, but it's more his style than it is the actual comic story itself, I think, in many respects, being just sort of a retread of, oh, look, we're back in the new Jedi Order. So we're walking into this coming year with the little one-shot digest series still out there, but all they ever are are one-shot digests that have no impact really on anything, especially the Clone Wars ones that don't even have an impact on the Clone Wars cartoon series or even really tie into it other than just using the same characters anymore. You've got Invasion out there. Yeah, it's growing, but it's taken a long time to get people into it in some respects because it's retreading New Jedi Order ground, and they've yet to tell us how it fits in with everyone else. It's almost like a, are we going to get an alternate continuity type thing here? And then, of course... I guess the longest running of the ones that are still out there is Dark Times. And Dark Times has just sort of been this colossal, I don't want to say failure, but about as close to a failure as you can get because they can't seem to get the issues out on time. There's these huge gaps in between. You've got characters that a lot of fans are having a lot of trouble getting into. There's not a lot of the Star Wars trademark humor and such in it. I mean, it really is a series that feels like it should have died a long time ago. And yet it's one of these ones that's going to have to carry the banner for Star Wars into the next year. If they don't announce something big and new, or if they don't really, really ramp up the hype on Knight Errant and what little of Legacy War is still coming, I don't see how the Star Wars comic line maintains the strength in 2011 that it had in 2010. In young reader books... At least the ones with original stories rather than adaptations of Clone Wars episodes and the like. We saw the Decide Your Destiny series open up with new possibilities, with online components to books in both the UK and the US. The Secret Mission series also continued the adventures of Chiss Padawan Nuru Kanagawa with Curse of the Black Hole Pirates. In more adult fare, Fate of the Jedi returned with its second act in books 4 through 6 of the 9 novel series, while its tie-in ebook series Lost Tribe of the Sith continued as well. Red Harvest, which will be available in late December, continues the horror concepts from Death Troopers as a prequel set in the era of the Old Republic. Meanwhile, in a multimedia event of not-so-epic proportions by the standards of many reviewers, The Force Unleashed returned with its second game on multiple platforms, along with its accompanying novel, comic adaptation, and downloadable content. Whether this marks the end of this series or just a continuation of a tale yet to be concluded remains to be seen. News coming out of LucasArts doesn't appear to be too promising for fans of the series. 2010 also saw the launch of new storylines in the EU. In comics, Knight Errant began with the first issue of A Flame, preceded by a preview at Celebration 5, as John Jackson Miller launched the story of Kara Holt after wrapping up Zane Carrick's journey in Knights of the Old Republic earlier in the year. Legacy returned for the start of a short miniseries end cap, Legacy War. And a new series that was meant to be a miniseries emerged. That series, Blood Ties by Tom Taylor, gained so much acclaim and attention that it has been determined that it will continue, focusing on different characters in each successive story arc. In novels, Fate of the Jedi wasn't the only tale being told. Crosscurrent launched as what is now said to be the first in a series of two novels by Paul S. Kemp bringing with it the controversial concept of time travel in Star Wars. Fatal Alliance by Sean Williams provided our first novel in the era of the upcoming The Old Republic video game. Speaking of video games, this year also saw the launch of the more family-friendly Clone Wars Adventures MMO. Speaking of family-friendly material, when it comes to children's books, or the intermediate level between children's books and what we think of as young readers' books, we did see the premiere of Adventures in Hyperspace, but... It only had two books this year, Fire Ring Race and Shinbone Showdown, before the entire series was derailed and put on apparent hiatus, with no sense of when a third book will finally arrive. The true standouts this year, though, might very well be the oddball higher-end items out there. 2010 gave us an excellent look at the Star Wars saga's development in Star Wars year by year. A look into the sounds of Star Wars in, well, the sounds of Star Wars an art showcase in Star Wars Visions, a peek behind the scenes with the making of The Empire Strikes Back, and, for rabid EU fans, a surprising yet flawed collection of the Clone Wars Season 1 webcomics in Tales from the Clone Wars and the outstanding and brilliantly presented The Jedi Path with plenty of goodies to lose or have your child accidentally destroy. 
Meanwhile, the Clone Wars cartoon series concluded the back half of its second season and launched the first half of its third, bringing with it changes to the Mandalorians that had necessitated retcons in 2009's Essential Atlas, along with the introduction of Boba Fett into the series, an unexpectedly jumbled season three, a character death that nearly sent a tie-in video game spiraling out of continuity, and yes, a leap ahead in the war into uncharted territory that a lucky few fans were able to experience in advance at special Secrets Revealed screenings across the country. And, oh yeah, the Star Wars Action News Book Club, last seen in action for a roundtable discussion in October 2009, remained missing in action. <laughs> and that, for better or worse, was 2010. But when it comes to like the, the novels and the comics and all that sort of thing, and the games to a lesser extent, I am starting to see the possibility that we get to a slowdown period because we've seen some things scaled back. We've seen three different comic series end in the last year. Granted, there are other ones going, but they sort of scaled that back a little bit. We're seeing novels not nearly as frequently as we have before, especially not any kind of novel and comic-type blitz like we saw around 1999 up to about 2002. Mm. And part of it, I guess, is because there's just not as many eras in which they're trying to tell stories and such. But I look at my collection and... It's bookshelf after bookshelf, and it's a long box of comics after long box of comics, and it strikes me. I wouldn't want to be a new Star Wars fan right now because you would never be able to catch up. It would just be, be this unfathomably difficult thing. I thought it was hard just finding the Ewoks comics over the summer to find the last of those. So I'm wondering, for those of you who do look at, at EU purchases have you seen a change in that? Like, are you finding that your purchases are more pick and choosing? You can't have it all, just like Arnie was saying with other collecting here. Is that trend happening with you? Because I almost feel like it's purposely been slowed down by the powers that be because maybe we did hit an oversaturation point of at least Star Wars fiction for a while. Hmm. Well, I'll answer first. And I'm listening to Arnie talk about how he's being more selective and I, I've always been that kind of selective collector. I realized many, 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 many years ago I could never have it all, especially since I had no money. So what I would always do is I would collect what I could, and when I did get more money, I would go and catch up that way, Nathan. So like when, during episode one, for example, I would get all the Jedi and any character that was uh, connected to the previous trilogy, the original trilogy, I would get those figures. And then as the years went on on eBay, I collected the ones that I didn't get the first time around. Same with the EU novels for a few years there. Back when the new Jedi Order was out, I got the hardcovers for birthdays or Christmas presents. But a lot of the paperback novels, I would read them so quickly I couldn't afford to get them full price. So I would get them on Half.com or a big lot on eBay or uh, something like that. So I've always been frugal in how I do it because I had no other choice but to do it that way. Lately, we've been okay and better off and things like that, and I've been able to fill in some gaps, Nathan. So for me, I've always been selective. Luckily for me, though, it has slowed down. I've had to buy a lot of extra bookshelves, <laughs> especially since I became the book label liaison here at, at Venganza because my books have just exponentially grown, and it's, it's remarkable. So where it has slowed down the past couple of years for my bookshelves, I just can't believe how many bookshelves in my home are covered with Star Wars things. So if that helps you answer your question, I think it's naturally happening, but I've always been that way. So maybe I'm not the best person to judge by. I wouldn't say I necessarily have noticed a slowdown, Bob. I mean, <laughs> it seems like there's quite a lot still coming out as far as the novels go. There's still a lot coming out in the comics to the point where I dropped some from my pull lists and decided to go back to just the trades because I was spending way too much on the comics. A lot of it is becoming fiction that I don't necessarily care as much about, like the stories that are quote-unquote exclusive to the Clone Wars magazine as far as EU goes. But here's the thing with that. I, I've bought more books in the past year than I've probably bought in f the past five years combined. That's because I'm backfilling a lot of my hardcover collections and getting a lot signed myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a, a lot of this collecting, it, it's not like they're taking books out of print. Every Star Wars novel published in the modern era is still in print and I can walk to Barnes and Noble and pick it up. So it just feels to me like they're just taking up more and more bookshelf space every year. And a ton of books came out this year and it was hard to keep up with them. Well, yeah, but at the same time, this isn't like at least it doesn't feel like the Bantam era where almost every month you would turn around. There's a new Star Wars book out there. Granted, we have a, a handful of standalones this year. But I mean, you take Fate of the Jedi 
Allies came out in May of this year, and then it mm-hmm. wasn't until the end of November when Vortex came out. So almost a six-month gap, about a five- to six-month gap. And now there's not going to be another Fate of the Jedi novel conviction until next May. So at least when it comes to the series, they're really spacing them out this time. And it's caused uh, some ripples actually within the fan base saying, what are you doing? Why are you stretching this series out so long? At one point they said, well, we're, we're stretching it out to add more subplots and that sort of thing to it. But that was supposedly supposed to account for one of the earlier long gaps in the series. And now it's about a six-month, five-month rotation on these things. I guess it's just kind of feels like because I'm the I'm the opposite of Brock. I'm not a selective collector. Thanks to the Star Wars timeline gold picking up around 1997 is when I started that. So it was only about six years in. I'd been keeping up with it for the most part up until then. Now, except for the little kids books, I'm literally picking up every Star Wars novel, every Star Wars comic, not every variant cover, but every Star Wars comic, Uh, even going back and finding stuff like the Toys R Us ones from O2 that I was hunting down for so long. So to me, it feels like, man, you know, there's less Star Wars comics, it feels like, that are hitting my mailbox from things from another world than I used to be picking up on a weekly basis at the stores. And as far as novels go, unless maybe I'm just blowing through them much faster than I otherwise would have, it really doesn't seem like they're coming out with as as great a frequency as we saw before. Maybe because they're not all from the same series. Maybe I'm thinking of the time when you could think of everything as being in one general era, and now the eras are so far apart that maybe it feels like separate series. But it, it feels like a slowdown to me. It feels like the best years of the EU may still be ahead, but this year is is wrapping up by, by leaving it in a really weak place. Nathan, you mentioned that you thought there was a big gap in the Fate of the Jedi releases. In my last review for Vortex which I actually thought was probably the best book so far in the series. I mentioned that I don't see why this series is nine books. Frankly, I'm kind of, I have no problem with the space of time in between each book. I think there should be six books instead of nine for the story they're telling us. I think they're actually trying to cram in more subplots is the wrong way to go. I think there wasn't enough going on in the first books, and now they're trying to, you know, hear what fans are saying and trying to make up for it towards the back end, sort of like a particular complaint that people had about the prequel trilogy. Which, look, I don't want to get into that, but I think that I have no problem with them having the spaced out timeline. I, have, I, I felt there was plenty of Star Wars fiction going on this year, whether or not The Fate of the Jedi was consistent. What I would like them to do is return and get away from the nine books and the six books and get back to trilogies if they can, or duologies. I frankly don't need a nine book, a nine book series. You know, they said that's what they're doing. That's great. This is the last long series. Thank goodness. They're going to duologies and trilogies and no more of these long things like New Jedi Order, Fate of the Jedi, Legacy of the Force. Yeah, I just don't get it. And, and I'm so glad they came to that conclusion. And if I heard that before, I completely forgot. So there you go. Nathan, what do you think about that? Uh, do, you, do you feel that the story is strong enough to keep up nine books? Or, or do you think the story is not strong enough that it needs to be released closer together so people can stay involved? What, what exactly – are you so clamoring for the end of this story or, or more conclusions in the story that you want these releases closer together? Oh, I just want to be able to have Star Wars materials in forms other than just comics a little more frequently. To me, a six-month gap between books and a series is nuts. Because we've never seen that with an ongoing Star Wars series like this before. I mean, it's the equivalent in novel terms of what they're doing with Dark Times, which, frankly, just like Fate of the Jedi, at least in the first books, really, really has had a hard time getting my attention. And yet they can't get Dark Times out on a relatively uh, consistent and close-together schedule to save their lives. And it's kind of the same thing here with with Fate of the Jedi in the sense that if it's not a story that is going to keep me really excited for every new volume, don't space it out so far. Because, yeah, I can sit back and maybe justify the purchase a little bit more by saying, well, it was 20 bucks or whatever it was. But it's one of those things where, you know, if I have to justify the cost, I can say, well, that was six months ago. I'm ready to buy another full priced hardback now. But this is just not one of those stories that that. It doesn't grip me, put it that way. In most respects, it does not grip me. So six months means my interest drops. Six months, I think, means a lot of people's interest drops. I mean, granted, it would make sense if it was something more like what we saw with Legacy of the Force, where they were closer together. Maybe some of them are paperback and some of them are hardback so that the, the, the sticker shock doesn't bother people as much. What we've got here is a story that was really slow to ramp up in the first place, where the first few books kind of felt lather, rinse, repeat, and they're, they're trying to sort of capitalize on the success.
success of their previous series, and this cannot hold a candle to Legacy of the Force, in my opinion. That was probably my favorite Star Wars novel series overall ever. But this particular, which I know a lot of people will disagree with, but this Me included. Series, it's it's got to do something. Otherwise, this is just going to drag on and on and on, and they don't have enough gripping books in the middle to to pull me into it that's that's why i think that this year it feels slow for novels maybe it isn't maybe if you add in cross current and all those maybe it isn't nearly as slow as it seems but mm-hmm. it really but nathan did you read the old republic fatal alliance that was a wonderful surprise in the middle of the year out of the blue fantastic surprise cross current overall even though i wasn't as crazy about it as other people were was a wonderful surprise i think in between the big series they had some really strong standalone novels you know, I did read those. I mean, I read literally every EU novel and comic as it comes out. And the thing about those, and maybe this is this is the problem, is that some of these books have been very, very good. I even really like the Force Unleashed 2's novelization this time, especially relative to the last one that felt like a walkthrough. But most new Star Wars books that come out that aren't Fate of the Jedi, I finish in like a day or two. And then I'm done with my Star Wars novel fix for months, usually. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's that the quality level of some stuff is so good that you wind up wanting more, and then the gaps are there, only filled in by some of the stuff that's not quite as good as the rest. And I guess I didn't notice that because I read all these books this year for the show and and for myself, of course. And it seemed like maybe I had a break in between, but not a very long one. I felt like I had enough Star Wars reading this year and a lot of good ones. And, and, And my point is I found the good ones to be not where I expected them to be. Plus, you also have some great nonfiction in there that you could pepper in between. True. I think also part of it is, for what it's worth, this year did not have nearly as many of the younger reader novels. In years past, we had things like Jedi Apprentice, Jedi Quest, Last of the Jedi to really keep us going. But this year, Rebel Force ended. We only got one book in the Clone Wars Secret Mission series. So there wasn't a lot of other fare to whet that appetite or to satiate that appetite with the exception of the comics, which I think maybe also where it's kind of losing steam. Speaking of losing steam, I've been really frustrated lately by the lack of Star Wars video games lately. It seems like, except for my iPhone, these games are so few and far between. There have been some great games for the iPhone this year. I really love the Cantina game. The Hoth Battle game, it was okay. It wasn't the greatest, but it was fun enough. Did anyone else buy the iPhone games? You know, oddly enough, I bought the Battle of Hoth for my son on his little iPod Touch, and he absolutely loves that game. And I, I don't know a whole lot about it, but he plays Plants vs. Zombies a lot, and he really got into that game. So I, I've been thinking about picking, you know, just put it on my iPhone and whatnot. But the the rest of them, I, I haven't. But there's at least a nine year old boy who really likes the Battle of Hoth game. Yeah, it's actually not that bad. It's got quite a bit of variance to it. It's a little frustrating, which is why I think I quit, is I just got tired of losing in the levels. But it's not bad at all. I totally agree with you, though, on the lack of not just video games this year, but the lack of Star Wars games for this, you know, the next gen that's kind of like just now the the current gen games. I mean, we've gotten, I guess, a couple Clone War games and the Wii has some exclusive games, but... I think it's just absolutely ridiculous we've never gotten a Battlefront 3 or that a Knights of the Old Republic 3 or what have you. And just getting these, uh, you know, more for the hardcore gamer or just even, you know, the gamer, these really uh, more in-depth Star Wars titles. It's been Clone Wars TV series based. We got a Lego one that I guess has been pushed back into next year. And it's it, it's not a there, there's not a lot of options for the Xbox 360 PlayStation 3 fan. I know, and that's frustrating, with the exception of we did get a Clone Wars game this year, right? No, the Republic... Well, we got Clone Wars Adventures, which was the computer-based kids MMO, but Republic Heroes was last year. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, you're right. It's been really, really light this year. I'm right there with you, Jerry. I feel a big lack for that. I have a 360. I love playing it. And my, my thing, though, is that even though I played The Force Unleashed to completion with all of the achievements and everything for the downloadable content on the first Force Unleashed, I still haven't bought The Force Unleashed 2. I haven't done it, even though I'm dying for a great Star Wars game and I'm really wanting to play. And that's because um, I read the novel. I know the story. You can hear my review of that on the show. And then I heard from everybody, including our own Arnie and Marjorie, that it was a really, really short game. I'm not going to spend $59.99 to the point where I think they heard us because they just released downloadable content for it for a dollar. So I think 
even though I want one, I'm not going to pay for just anything. I want a good one, and I want it. I want it soon, and hopefully in 2011 we'll get it. Yeah, I was the flip side. I instead of not buying the Force Unleashed, I was the Uber the Force Unleashed buyer. I bought the PS3 version, the Wii version, the DS version, the novel, <laughs> the comic. I mean, that's that's kind of what I've done with these multimedia blitz games, including Shadows of the Empire back in the day. So what did you do after those five hours were up? <laughs> you know, I really enjoyed it. I played through um I played through the PS3 game a couple of times, getting different trophies and building up the character and that sort of thing. I did only play the DS version of it one time because there's not much in the way of collectibles. But I actually found that the Wii version captured my attention for a much longer time span. I played the Wii version probably three times straight through over a matter of, you know, a week, week and a half, give or take, because I wanted to unlock absolutely everything, including all those last cheats. So to me, it was a worthwhile experience. But then again, this is something that when a new Star Wars game or a new Star Wars book comes out, I put it into my budget for the month from the get-go, like I would any other bill. So I'm not sitting back here thinking, oh my god, I just spent like $200 just about on the Force Unleashed 2 stuff. And after less than a month, I'm kind of like, okay, what's next? So I think if I looked at the sticker, I would have been, been freaking out. But I enjoyed the experience, and, and I love the series. Nathan, just to, on your point there about buying absolutely everything for every single system, I, I do that too. I just buy it for the one system now, if, if at all, and then I wait till it goes down severely in price. And for my collection, I'm able to pick up all of these different versions of different systems for very little money uh, later on down the line. And I'm, I'm right there with you, Brock. I do the yeah. exact same thing. Only I will not buy for if it's the exact same code. I won't buy Xbox and PlayStation if it is the same code. Wii, different controls. DS, totally different game. I'll buy them. But I'm not going to buy the exact same code base on two different systems. That seems foolish yeah. to me, even for $10. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's just that's kind of a, a no-brainer. But this is one of those things where, you know, I think that they're in an odd position. Because on the one hand, they want to be able to play to all these different audiences and let fans with different systems feel like they're playing the same story. But at the same time, if you want to approach people on this multi-platform thing, how different can you make them and still make it enough that someone would buy multiple copies of it? I mean, you take Republic Heroes, not a lot. I mean, granted, the, the horrible jumping mechanics and everything else aside, not a lot of people, even when it came to pre-orders, seem to be picking them up on next gen and Wii because the controls weren't all that different. Lots of people, though, it seems, are picking up the Force Unleashed 1 and 2 on multiple systems. There are even some people like me who went out and purchased the Chrome Studios quasi-unfinished version of the original The Force Unleashed, both on the Wii for the dual mode and the controls, and on, say, the PSP for all those exclusive fighting modes. So there is something to be said for small variances here and there, but it's definitely not the, the, the mainstream collecting approach here, and they're hurting themselves by only putting out one game a year, two games a year, or something like that. Although I will, to, to go back to the point of we haven't seen a Battlefront 3, we've at least seen the story of Battlefront 3. The story of Battlefront 3 was what we got on Elite Squadron. We just haven't seen a next-gen Battlefront game. Steve, Baron, did either of you pick up The Force Unleashed 2? I didn't pick up The Force Unleashed 2. I did pick up The Force Unleashed, and, and that was a very worthwhile experience, but the Force Unleashed 2, I just heard so many bad reviews and from people who I know who bought it who said they'd finished in three or four hours. So um, I'm afraid I didn't bother. I'm with you, Steve. I picked up the original Force Unleashed because it was just when they were, you know, promoting the original Force Unleashed, it was just a, such a different Star Wars game that was out there. You know, you get to use the Force and I have a Wii, so it's it's a little bit more fun to play i would think because you have to actually thrust your hands you know the wii games are uh so you're more in control i felt but as far as the star wars force unleashed 2 goes it just it didn't seem any any different than the force unleashed one i mean it showed a little bit more control over force powers and you had a different force powers and you know he's a clone he had double lightsabers but it's kind of like the Ultimate Alliance uh, uh, for Marvel. It's, you have Ultimate Alliance 1, that was a really good game, and they came out with Ultimate Alliance 2, which was basically the second game, 
but more weak sauce. So that's kind of how I felt about Force Unleashed 2, so I passed. I was the opposite in the sense that not only did I pick up the, the game, I, I was impressed enough with what I was seeing of the game and the updated graphics and that sort of thing to a degree, like the hair that just kind of blew my mind, the leather jacket and that sort of thing. I picked up the collector's edition. So not only did I pay 60 bucks for it, I paid actually probably more like closer to 80 bucks for the thing to get the little USB drive with the art book and all that kind of stuff for it. So I really went all out, and I think I would have been shocked by the price, but I still think, you know, all things aside, with the enjoyment that I got out of it in the short time that I was playing it, but the enjoyment I got out of it, I think it was worth the purchase for me. But I'm a big The Force Unleashed fan. I'm kind of the, the, the TFU fanboy at this point. I was excited when they gave us the DLC for a buck the other day, even though it wasn't exactly, you know, phenomenal DLC. I still don't see how you can say this has a good story, though. I just... I, that's no, wrong. Well, that is this, that is factually wrong. If you look at no, the elements of storytelling, <laughs> I like I like the story of the original The Force Unleashed a lot. Mm -hmm. And in this case, this game had the Revenge of the Sith effect, which means that because I read the novel before I played the game, I felt like it had more depth than the game itself had. Because I read Matthew Stover's brilliant Revenge of the Sith novelization before I saw the Revenge of the Sith film, I felt like there's much more depth to that film than is actually there within the film itself. I definitely agree it's, it's a much weaker story for the second game than the first, but... Having read the novel, seeing Juno Eclipse's aspects of it, even the comic that kind of flops as a standalone adds more depth to it so that as you're playing, if you're thinking in those terms, it feels like a broader story. It's, it's not up to par with the first one, definitely, but it has that same Revenge of the Sith effect. Nathan, you are the EU guy, the continuity guy. You are, you are the man in that situation, and I'm not saying that in any condescending way at all. I completely bow to your knowledge. You're amazing, okay? But I, I mentioned this in my review of Force Unleashed 2 novel that I'm going to leave it for Nathan P. Butler to figure this out for me. I'm not sure if you heard that. Uh, let me ask you straight out right now, if I can just take a quick second. Darth Vader has access to cloning technology, and you're okay with that? You, Mr. Continuity, are okay with Darth Vader having cloning technology access? Wouldn't he clone himself to get out of the suit? Wouldn't he clone Padme to be happy and run away? Wouldn't he clone himself to be a 10,000 Darth Vaders? If, he can, if he's figured out a way to clone Jedi, why is he so obsessed with cloning this one guy? It doesn't make any sense! At all! I understand it's a sequel to a video game that we want to play this one character, but as far as the character of Darth Vader in the continuity, I don't understand how that one plot point can get a pass from you. I don't get it. Sorry, I didn't clones, mean to raise my voice. Yeah. Well, if you're talking the clones <laughs> specifically, there's enough use of clones in the Star Wars universe, quite frankly, that I kind of, you just sort of accept it. I mean, the only thing that bothered me about the clones in this game was the fact that it took a, it took the uh, distant thunder or whatever it was called, little cinematic set that you could unlock on the next-gen version to know whether this really was a clone or not. The fact that it didn't answer the question bothered me. Second, though... Wait, there's an unlockable video? What? Spoiler alert, what the hell is he? He's a clone. They're, they, they, he's a clone, so is the other, because Starkiller's dead body is presented to the dark clone that shows up in the dark ending, uh, is presented to him once the other Starkiller has already escaped. So the good Starkiller is a clone, as is the evil one who can kill you at the end of the dark ending. Yeah, the real Starkiller is dead. But that's the thing. It's unlocked in these like motion comic videos in the next-gen version. As you play the challenges, it unlocks these so-called cinematics. Well, these so-called cinematics aren't just like random videos. They're a series of webcomic-type things but when or motion comics. As for just the idea of the cloning thing, going for, for the second aspect here— it's been used so much. You know, I think this plays into the storyline you have in uh, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, the, you know, turn someone to the dark side to go up against the Emperor and the fact that he has all these other apprentices out there. In the EU, I mean, you can rattle off, like, what, ten different apprentices at different times for Vader. So to have him using this as a method to get one, no big deal. The fact that the Camino and cloning facilities don't wind up playing into stuff much later on, to me, not a big deal because of the events of this game. Uh, the, the issue I had was 
and this is what my B would have been, uh, the issue I had was that Rom Coda is sitting there saying, no, you can't clone Jedi, because we just saw that with his own former Padawan, Fallon Gray, in the Elite Squadron game, and sure enough, he meets one of those clones, X2, and even recruits him into the Rebel Alliance. They had to bump that part of Elite Squadron to after the Force Unleashed 2 to make sense with the lines from Rom Coda in the game. But there's so much cloning going on in the Star Wars universe, it, it, it's a non-issue for me. I mean, it'd be like if you said, all of a sudden, there's one character who ever is shown with a lightsaber that's not red, green, or blue, and holy crap, how do they make that happen? Like with Samuel L. Jackson's Mace Windu having a purple one. Well, to an EU reader, that's not an issue. There's all kinds of different lightsaber colors out there. Once you've seen something enough times as available within the storylines, it stops being something that is a continuity breaker, at least from my perspective. So, uh, okay, I'm, I'm surprised to hear you say that about Darth Vader having access to cloning technology. Complete, I, I just, I, I'm in shock, but... Well, you got to figure that if they had access to cloning technology to make troopers at different times, if Palpatine had access to cloning technology, if the Comites uh, have cloning technology, like the Dorse all have cloning technology, cloning technology is out there. You know, the but, idea that why doesn't he just clone himself or clone Padme is a question that really, in many respects, this game doesn't initially pose. That's something that just the existence of the cloning stuff in the past could have posed. Yeah, he's got the Camino facility, but all that does is make it easier access to the same cloning technology he could have gotten or taken from anywhere else in the galaxy, especially if we're talking Padme, who's not even a Jedi. Moving on. Yeah, let's move move on. Yeah, (laughs) just move on. So, guys, let's wrap it up and just look back on the year that was outside of collecting. Celebration 5 and hanging out with Steve and Jerry, who are on this call, as well as everybody else who is out there who isn't on this call, both staff, non-staff, friends... It was my Star Wars high point of the year. I just absolutely loved it. Being able to give those talks on the collecting panel, Marjorie giving the talk on the partners in collecting. And Jerry, when you and I did the radio drama panel, that was just so much fun and so much pressure. Yeah. No, I got to agree. I mean, in terms of Star Wars moments, I mean, how, how can you top the, the biggest party and, you know, watching you guys in action, um, you know, from the, the front row seats was really cool. I mean, I think Star Wars Action News had a, a extremely strong presence and just speaks well of the relationship, I guess, with Lucasfilm and the folks like Steve Sansweet that gets you guys so involved in collector panels. It speaks well of you guys. And you're right. The radio drama thing was, uh, uh, I thought it was a blast. I've always loved the radio drama dramas. And, and to have uh, the excitement we had in that room and, and the crowd was actually pretty decent considering some of the other events going on. And, and that was just a blast. I mean, I could talk about the radio dramas all day and, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to do that someday. But, yeah, you you can't be meeting a bunch of people for the first time, uh, you know, meeting Steve for the first time. I mean, heck, what a, what a great opportunity, you know, him coming over, uh, him and his wife coming over here to the U.S. And um, it seemed kind of funny. I mean, Dan and I followed each other all the way back back home, and that was kind of a trip in and of itself. <laughs> so, yeah, good times. You can't you can't can't top C five for the, the 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 moment of the year. I mean, if you'd gotten the chance to go to it, it took us nine hours to fly over to America, but I'd do it again in a heartbeat. It was such a fun time. Uh, to be honest with you, it was it was just a blast the whole event. Um, and I'm I'm not flopping you two guys when I say this, but that radio dramas panel was my favourite out of the seven or eight that we went to. It was just um, a special time. Um, highlights for me from Celebration Five with with the Swan Party, which was awesome. Um, it was it was all of a blur. I, I talked to so many different people, met so many uh, of the listeners of Star Wars Action News. It was just such a blur, and, and the the Hanning carbonite cake was fantastic that we had the honor me and suzanne of cutting the the hanning carbonite cake slicing into to han was fantastic and another highlight was something that jerry didn't have the, the opportunity to attend unfortunately which was the last tour to endor uh which w- was really a special evening getting to share some time with arnie and marjorie and uh larry and mr gosh at last tour to endor that that was uh, real fun and also um, watching the Republic Forces Radio Network crew record live in the uh, in the food hall at C5 was really an interesting experience as well. <laughs> um, it, it, 
two other highlights, if I could mention them, the, the afternoon drinks with Dan and Darth Daddy and a few others in the hot ice bar. Um, that was a little bit of excitement, uh, particularly having our photos taken with the slave layers, Dan. And uh, of course, you'll all remember my shenanigans in the art queue. Um, that lives long in the lives long in the memory, definitely. But I guess along with the Republic Forces thing, when we were at Dan's uh, hotel room, his, his condo or whatever, and all of us together live recording the first um, celebration report, I think that's an absolute first. Um, Arnie, correct me if I'm wrong, to have so many people face-to-face recording a big roundtable like that, basically, that's that was just kind of cool to be a part of. I do think that was the largest number. We tried something like that while waiting in line for opening ceremonies at Celebration 4. But there were so many distractions. I don't know that it ever actually was used for anything beyond our own frustrations. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that was just such a fun time because there were no frustrations. And it was just we went well into the night much later than I expected, as we always do, including tonight. <laughs> but it was just so much fun to be there and the energy in the room. And what's funny is R2DB, David, who is on the forums was in the room, but not part of the table. He would just go on and on about how much fun it was to watch us record it. And that was kind of weird for me, but it was also kind of cool. I must admit, I've listened to that show back a couple of times just to sort of relive the memory of recording that because it, it was fun times. Um, it's it sort of talking about queuing and lining the, the will we, won't we, will we, won't we off and on decision about whether we were going to queue for Lucas um, you know, the live Lucas appearance, uh, th- that lives quite long in the memory as well. And <laughs> the fact we sort of turned up but didn't actually queue. And um, it-, it was all good times. I think some of the best times were had at C5. And I will never, ever forget getting drunk in the middle of the day, drinking overpriced drinks at the Hoth Ice Bar, and then going with Dark Daddy, Dan, and Chris, who is Jedi Master Daddio and our art guy and going to the scrapbooking panel and making scrapbook stuff. We had a blast. They were like the only guys in there. I don't have any scrapbooking skills. Chris is like a whiz at scrapbooking. So is Darth Daddy. And then Darth Cheddar's wife, Jill, had to come help us and do the scrapbooking for us because the rest of us just weren't up to snuff with that. So and I had a really great time. We had a great summer, actually, not just at C5, but at Comic-Con. We hung out with Baron, and I got to meet him for the first time, which was super awesome and meet his lovely wife. We just had a really good time this summer. C5 was magical. I think I slept maybe three hours every night because we were running from 7 a.m. to, gosh, 3, 4 in the morning sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. But I will say it was really weird at first. I got in a van full of guys I didn't know and Steve's wife, Suzanne. It is weird because we all know each other's voice, but we'd never met except for Jerry and I. And it was just kind of weird sitting there among all the staff and everyone. It's kind of different. But we had a great time. It, I think, and that's part of the thing that makes it fun is the people you meet and the people you hang out with. And I just had a lot of good memories from C5 this year. I'll tell you what. I do the enhancing of the podcast in case some of the listeners didn't know. And I had the most fun enhancing the two, uh, the cast from Celebration 5. I mean, I, have, I haven't met Steve. I haven't met Jerry. I haven't met anybody face-to-face except for you, Marjorie, and Arnie. And it was so fun to see everybody and get the images and listen to you guys talk. And, you know, it's like old friends meeting for the first time. You know, and it was great. And, and those were probably the best. The, the, I had the most fun enhancing those podcasts this year was, was from C5. Now, Comic-Con, on the other hand... <laughs> was a different story because I actually went to Comic-Con with you two and I got a taste of what it was like to actually produce a podcasting show on the road in the, uh, the thick of things in line, you know, you know, unedited, mostly unedited. You can't really, you know, edit people around you talking, you know, what they have to say, but it was great. I got to meet, you know, I got to meet you for the first time, Arnie Wan and, and Marjorie Domina. And it was great. It was the first time I actually went to a, a con. And how else to go to a con with you two? I mean, you guys are veterans. You showed me the ropes. I mean, Arnie, you introduced me to Daryl the Priest. You introduced me to Hannah Lee. You introduced me to Steve Sansweet. It was just like, it was very hard, you know. And, and Arnie was just like, be cool, you know. We'll, we'll get the autograph, you know. We'll get the autograph. Dave Filoni, you know, it was, it was, just, it was just a great, great, great time. And I think the best part of my Comic-Con time was kicking it with you guys at the actual Hasbro 
party. And even though it didn't seem like I was having a good time, my dogs were hurting from those boots. But I, I, I had the best time, Arnie. I mean, you guys, it, it was just the greatest. It was the greatest. I have to say, yeah, Comic-Con was such a blast and everything seemed so perfect at Comic-Con and everything Star Wars there. I just didn't feel there was enough Star Wars at Comic-Con. It was a grand old time. But they they held it all back. Sansweet didn't get to have his spectacular in the evening. They didn't have the fan club breakfast. I, I hope they rectify at least the, well, there's no fan club anymore and there's no Sansweet anymore. So no more. But <laughs> Celebration 5, as far as Star Wars goes, was the Star Wars, you know, that was the droids I was looking for. Because at Comic-Con, I, I was loving all the non-Star Wars stuff. There just wasn't enough Star Wars for me. There's, you know, as we've talked about on the show over on Republic Forces, we had Dave Filoni talking about wave generators. So getting to Celebration 5 and getting to just immerse myself in Star Wars. I mean, it's like a big Star Wars dunk take where you just want to be dunked. And <laughs> You guys were in a take in Celebration 5, the big Boba tank. Yeah, please, please don't remind me, Baron. Dan's wandering hands when we had that photograph. Of it for <laughs> Poor Dan. See, he should have shown up for this because he gets picked on. Dan soft. Wandering hands, comfortable wandering hands. You'll you'll be introduced to them maybe next Comic Con, Barrett. <laughs> you and Dan can have some alone time. You know, speaking of speaking of Dan, one of my other highlights for this year was the uh, back in May when Dan and I got the chance to host Star Wars Action News for a week and one of your guys's ever so rare but much deserved vacation days. So that was uh, that was kind of cool. I mean, we had obviously done a lot of Republic Forces Radio Network and, and, and whatnot, but to, to take the flagship show for a week and call in the B team. And uh, it was even funny, uh, Steve, I, I probably never told you this, but you submitted uh, you know, your segment for that show, um, I, I, I guess, directly to me to put in the show that week, obviously. And it was surreal when you said, now I'll hand it back to Bounty and the Rockstar. Like, oh, wow. That's, that was kind of cool. <laughs> so it was just kind of fun to do that show. I mean, just 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 for a week. That was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun for us, too. So anytime you guys want to do that again. Like next week. Yeah. Or, yeah. After. <laughs> or, or if you guys want to team up and do like a little special, a very special episode of Star so, Wars Action yeah. News. I knew you were going to say that. I, I actually I kept Brock's line where he says filling in for Marjorie oh, is Dan. <laughs> well, I really liked what you said in the voicemail. I had our, you sent in that voicemail. Hi, hi, Jerry, longtime listener, first time caller. And I, I, I actually had the show all done when you when you sent that. But I, I, I inserted that was, that was just that was too funny. It was just too much for me to not speak on the show. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't take a full week. Off. Couldn't let me have one. <laughs> If if we're still talking about conventions, I, I've got to throw Jedicon into the ring, um, and I hope at some stage in the future, some of you guys will be able to make it over to Germany for Jedicon, because as as wild a celebration was, you haven't experienced anything until you've experienced the crazy Germans. They they do Star Wars in just a different way than than sort of American conventions do, uh, and, and I'd highly recommend Jedicon. We'll be going every time it's on, you know, in, in the future. It, it is a totally different experience. Kudos to Steve. You know, that the JediCon coverage and just basically all the coverage you do, Steve, is, is, is really, I mean, just fantastic. But that JediCon coverage was absolutely fantastic. I mean, I really felt like I was there, you know, uh, with you, with you and Suzanne. And I mean, that was just a great, great job. You're too kind, Baron. I'm sure you're just saying this because I've got you that Galactic Heroes ATST. Wink, wink. <gasps> what, what, what? <laughs> now, what about the big Star Wars announcements of this year? Star Wars in Blu-ray, Star Wars in 3D. I think the Blu-ray is overdue. I think the 3D is underdue, like never due. Well, they're starting the 3D with The Phantom Menace, which was a big underwhelming part of it for me. I mean, even though I would love them to start with A New Hope and then maybe go to The Phantom Menace second, you know, if they really want to get those out of the way to make sure people go see them. But uh, when they announced the first one was going to be Phantom Menace, I have no need to go see that again. I saw it so many times in the theater the first time, and I want to see the original Star Wars in 3D. That's the only one I really, really, really want to see in 3D. The other ones, eventually, maybe I'll see. You know what I mean? So that kind of just ruined the whole announcement for me, personally. Big worry, Brock, is that they won't get to the OT, that they're going to do a couple of the, the prequels, maybe all three of the prequels, and 3D will run its course, and we won't actually get to the OT. Exactly. 
I'm of the mindset that 3D's already pretty much run its course and the backlash is coming strong and you, everybody's doing the me too isms with the conversions now thor and captain america both shot in 2d are getting the 3d conversions and i think but even by the time 2012 comes around it's going to be kind of a yawn i mean really i i said it on the show i don't need my star wars in 3d star wars is good enough so in, instead of doing the six movies in 3d why did they not do a, a clone wars film in 3d um surely the sort of animated medium may have fit better with the 3D uh, idea. I just can't see why they've gone to the films for 3D and, and not the Clone Wars for 3D. Did you see the box office grosses of that Clone Wars movie? Y- yeah, but the, the animation's way, way improved, as I'm sure you'll agree, n- now we're into season three. So it, it may have been the time for it. It True. may not. True. I think you're right. I just I don't think that it would be as profitable for them. I just, I just don't see it making the kind of money that they want to make. Arnie, any excuse to see the, the, the original movies on the big screen, I welcome. So I agree with you. I don't need Star Wars in 3D, but I want to see A New Hope again on the big screen. And so if it takes 3D to do it, so be it. Or even The Phantom Menace, Brock. I'm right with you. I mean, I have, I have a child, and just the opportunity to be able to take my son into a movie theater to watch The Phantom Menace post-3D conversion or not, just to see it on the big screen with my son, you know, would be worth the price of admission to, to me, you know, regardless of how I feel about The Phantom Menace. I mean, it's Star Wars on the big screen. Star Wars on the big screen I can take my family to, and that kind of excites me about it. Now, I'm pretty scared. The only thing is the post-production 3D process. It's, if, if it's done terrible, it's, it's, it's going to be terrible. I mean, I, I just don't want... So that kind of worries me a little bit. I think I'm going to have to play the blasphemer here in that there's a part of me that, in realistic terms, does not really want the opportunity to go see a Star Wars film on the big screen again anytime soon. Unless you know, I, I could see this if I had children and, and people that I would want to introduce to it for the first time. But I got to tell you, living in the area that I'm living in, I don't tend to go see movies much anymore because to me, the movie going experience has lost a lot of its luster. Give me something that is crisp and beautiful on Blu-ray and I'm fine with sitting at home and watching it. I'm in the comfort of my own home. I have my own food and such. I can pause it if I want and it's crystal clear. There are a lot of movie theaters in this area, at least, that definitely lack that visual oomph because I can get, in many cases, a better-looking picture on Blu-ray at home than I can on the theater. And at least if I'm at home, I don't have to deal with what initially caused me to not go see a lot of movies in the theater, which is the people. We have got to the point where uh, I, I tell my students whenever we're trying to watch a video in class, I used to tell them, Treat it like it's a movie theater. In other words, be quiet and follow what's going on. Now I tell them, don't treat it like a movie theater because I don't want them acting like jerks throughout the entire thing. I flat out, unless it's something I absolutely must see, maybe a new Star Wars film, I don't want to go see a movie in a theater anymore at this point. Uh, The crowds destroy the excitement for me. And I have a feeling that if the Star Wars films did come back out on the big screen, I would feel compelled to go see them and find that that experience that I remember so fondly from, you know, 99, 2002, 2005, as an adult going to see the prequels for the first time, I think that that, that, that sort of that mystique would be tarnished. Here's the thing, though, is there's nothing like seeing Star Wars with a bunch of Star Wars fans. But, Brock, the thing is, it's not that novel for me because every three years they show them on a big screen at Celebration. You know, they had an Empire Strikes Back screening, at least on this last one. Did they do all six movies at the last one? I know they did all yeah. six on the Celebration 4. Yeah, they did like two a night. Yeah. So right there is your premium experience because you're not going to ever find more energy in the room. And that's what you lose watching a movie at home. I, I always say is the energy of an audience in a situation like that. And yeah, you're going to find some disrespectful jerks, but that you know, really, I think the positives outweigh the negatives when it comes to Star Wars. But yeah, seeing it on a big screen isn't all that novel when they do it every three years at Celebration. And seeing it in 3D, I'm just not excited to see it in 3D. I think I'd rather see it the way Lucas originally intended versus the way Lucas now intends to make some more money. Well, wait a minute. So you mean you want to see the original 1977 cut? 
because that's how you originally intended it. I'm not going to get into that argument right now. But uh, I don't go to celebrations because I don't have the money to go to. I would go if I had the money, okay? So for me to be able to go to my local multiplex a couple of blocks away and see a Star Wars movie in 3D or not is what I'm talking about. The average person who doesn't go to celebrations, uh, I guess I have to throw myself in with them because I don't get to go. So for you, you get to do it every three years. Awesome for you. For me, it's a treat. And I'm looking forward to having that treat again in any way I can get it. I take a much more positive spin on it to say that 3D might be waning a little bit. And heck, maybe by 2015 when New Hope hits, maybe no one's going to care. Maybe we don't even get it to that. But I, I think Star Wars in 3D, especially when you get closer to 2012 and people are like, oh, wow, this thing's actually coming out. And I assume it'll come out in May because they all did. But I think that will generate the news. And I'll be happy to go see it just for this uh, big screen appearance. And by this time, my son will be old enough to appreciate him. And heck, I was just thinking that, you know, he'll be 11 when that hits and he'll be, God, he'll be 17, 18 years old when the last one comes out, Jedi comes out. And to me, that's just like, oh, dear God, I'll be taking an adult, you know, my son to see the last one in uh, 2017. And that's, that's, that's kind of cool. I'm really looking forward to that. I think if anything can make 3D cool, and keep it cool, it's going to be Star Wars. Now, yeah, starting off with Phantom Menace worries me, but at least they're only spaced one year apart and not three. I kind of wish they were doing a summer blockbuster, winter holiday type thing. You get through them faster, but hey, I'll take it. I'll totally take it. It'll, it'll, it'll be worthwhile to me, I think. Aren't you afraid, though, that like the Ewoks are going to shoot first or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going I'm, to be some tinkering. I'm, I'm, af- was, I'm afraid the Death Star is going to like blow up Yavin, like the, like in the uh, how it should have ended uh, YouTube videos. Yeah, <laughs> I was watching actually today. I watched the end for for some reason. I just kind of got this urge to pop in the original cut of the end of Return of the Jedi. Or actually, several points, but mainly the end of Return of the Jedi, and then popped in the special edition DVD updated version. So the two different DVDs from that two-disc set that was released a couple years back. And it struck me, as it has never struck me before, how amazingly bad the new Ewoks dancing scenes look. And the the couple of instances where they added things like new foreground Ewoks in front of the original celebration scenes that were on the, the, the 83 cut. I'm almost afraid of what they're going to try to do when it comes to 3D stuff. I mean, you already see so many movies that deal with 3D do these really idiotic kind of a, uh, we're going to make this go towards the camera. Not because we need to, but because it's 3D and that sort of thing. I, I worry how much they're going to try to ham it up to feel 3D because... I can see maybe if they give you the illusion of depth going into the screen, but aside from blasters and such, I don't really feel like these films are, they they weren't made for 3D. You know what I mean? It'd be a matter of gimmicking up what's already there, and that concerns me. As to the point of, of gatherings of fans, I love the idea of being with a gathering of fans watching Star Wars on the big screen, but you know what? Unless you go to the opening night premiere, or maybe on the first day around here, you don't get that experience at all. As soon as it hits the second day that a movie's been out, especially a Star Wars film's been out, good luck finding a crowd that's more Star Wars fans than it is generalized idiots with their cell phones, children, and throwing stuff at the screen crap. I do think they're going to release the movies again in January or February. I don't think they're going to release them in the summertime. I think the movies will get slaughtered in the summertime. February. They already said February. Yeah, so yeah, there you go. See it again for the first time for the last time, as uh, I guess Spaceballs would say. Oh, did they, did they actually say they'll release those in February when they do yeah. the 3D movies? Yeah, they they have to. A new movie in the summertime is more enticing than a movie we've all seen on videotape. You have to put it out at a time where a lot of new movies aren't coming out that people need to see. Yeah, but I just don't. I mean, I'll see it anytime. I guess that's what they do. That's when they did the, the special, special editions. Edition. Yeah, right. And the special editions made a killing. Well, the first one. The first did. one did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the third one just had an action figure. Yeah. But look at it this way: by the time a new hope finally does hit theaters, it won't just be 3D, but they will end the "Who Shot First question by giving you a little light gun, and you can shoot at the screen and be the one to shoot first. Well, guys, thank you for joining us for this look back at 2010, the 30th anniversary of Empire. Yeah, and the 25th anniversary of Droids. Yes. <laughs> and the fifth anniversary of Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> And the fifth anniversary of Star Wars Action News. Yes, yes, indeed. So, guys, I hope we can all get together again before the end of 2011 and discuss Star Wars some more because it's been a lot of fun. Cool. 
Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at SWActionNews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com. HansHideout.blogspot.com and JediTempleArchives.com and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is web programmers Jason and Joe, associate produced by Brock, reporters Jerry and Steve, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Berent. Star Wars Action News is copyright 2010, all rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited. All rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated. So, Steve, is it like five in the morning out there for you? It is five thirty in the morning. Oh dear God! Uh, I get up for work at six o'clock in the morning, so I've got half an hour till I. Dude, you're the get up you're the man. Up. You are. Yeah. But well, you know what, Steve? I'm so glad you came. I really am. I, I loved hanging out with you at C5, and I always love any chance to interact with you beyond just cold and personal emails. And I'm, I'm so glad you bought me that Galactic Heroes ATST. <laughs> and I'm so glad you're going to pick one up for me. Can <laughs> <laughs> you get like a pallet of them? <laughs> Again, a, a pallet? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs>